It is a very, very beautiful object. It's very rare and it's one of those really special personalized items. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. 2023 marks 100 years of our museums and collections, and we're celebrating by examining 100 intriguing objects that help tell the story of Lancaster, Morecambe and the surrounding area. This time on 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums, we're discussing a small but eye-catching piece of jewellery. Despite being in the ground for nearly 600 years, the way it glints and shines still catches the eye. It's a tiny piece of 16th century luxury which has survived to give us a glimpse into the life of an otherwise unknown nobleman. It's a gold cap badge. This object is really quite small. It's under six centimetres across and its overall shape is an oval. However, it's much more complex than that as it shows a 3D scene of two figures. Some small patches of the figure depicted on the right are white, but for the most part, it's gold and virtually untarnished. So it shines as brightly as it would have done when it was brand new. It's a beautiful small piece of jewelry, but without knowing much about where it was found and the scene that it depicts, it can be a bit of a mystery. We asked Dot Boughton, archeologist and assistant curator at Tully House Museum to clear up some of that mystery. She told us a little bit about what this object was and the scene that it was depicting. This object is really, really beautiful. It's what's called a cap badge or a hat badge. It's about five to six centimetres in diameter. Originally it was round, but now we just have um, the lower half left. It was made from gold and like with all precious metal, it survived really quite well. It is almost untarnished and um, originally it would have been enamelled, so we would have seen some colours on it as well. But sadly, there isn't much left. But it is a very, very beautiful object. It's very rare. And it's one of those really special personalised items that probably would have been worn by a gentleman on uh, well, a cap um, in the 16th century. It's dated from about 1530 to 1540. It's a sort of thing that um, Henry VIII could have worn, or rich men in his times would have worn quite quite prominently on the, on the hat, especially if that had a, a black background. It would have been really, really very um, obvious showing status and probably telling everybody, I'm a really rich person, look what I've got. When you look at it, when like at first glance, it looks like a crumpled piece of um, sweet wrapper paper. It really does. And in fact, the finder thought that's what he had when he um, picked, it, picked it up for the first time. But after he'd cleaned it, he realized there is actually two figures. There is um, a larger reclining figure on the left with a big beard and a smaller figure standing on the right. And in between, in the background, are um, tiny tents. Quite a weird picture, but when you um, when you look at it in more detail, you can see this is actually David and Goliath, or a picture from from their story. In fact, um, if you look really closely, you can see David is still clutching his sling in one hand, and he probably had a stone in the other, and he had just smashed a stone into Goliath's head, and Goliath has fallen down, and he's beaten on the floor, looking at um, David, who is kind of sort of towering over him, even though he's a much smaller figure. You can see the um, the war tents in the background. It's a mo motif from the Old Testament. And in fact, in the um, sort of mid 16th century, those were 
the preferred motifs to be worn. There is actually others in the British Museum collection that also show Old Testament motifs. So they are, we, we know of them, but because of where and how they were made, they are really, really very rare. They are not common finds at all. We delved deeper asking Dot to explain what the badge was made from and when and how it would have been created. As it looks now, you can just see the gold. It was made by chasing gold foil from the back. The design was, was basically punched from the back, if you will. So it was punched out. And then the cavities in the front were filled with enamel. So there were two processes and you would come up with something that wouldn't necessarily be super gold, but um, the outlines of things would be in gold. David would have had a white coat on and Goliath had a brown beard and I think he had an armour on as well. So there are tiny, tiny, tiny traces of enamel left in the crevices. If you look at the badge under a microscope or a magnifying glass, you can actually, actually see them. And we also know that when you turn it round, the back, it looks unfinished, but that is because it's actually part of a, of a two-part badge. You can see on the reverse, there are three tiny clips, like little staples, um, one on each side. And that would have held like a much bigger enameled gold frame, a circular one. Um, so no, it's not complete, but we know what the complete one would have looked like because in the British Museum, there is a similar one with a similar motif, and that is complete with a, with a whole rim round it. So it's beautiful as it is, but I think in the 16th century it would have looked even bigger and even more stunning. We know that it was made early to mid-16th century, so around 1530 to 1540. And more knowledgeable people than me who've researched these badges um, actually suggest these are not badges that were made in England. They are not English, so they were made on the continent somewhere. And you would imagine that at that time they would have probably come from either Italy Germany or France, I would have thought. We don't know, but they are so, so rare. There's, there's plenty of the lead ones made in England from English rhines, but um, these gold ones potentially, yeah, are not. they came from the continent. If these badges are so rare, what sort of person would have owned it? And what does that say about them? Because it's made from, from gold and quite a substantial amount of gold, really, and it was enameled, it's really, really fine workmanship. It would have been worn by a man of, of high status and people would, would go say to shrines or to um, wells or to any holy places and you could pick up well what we nowadays call souvenirs it's basically the same thing but it's in the in the medieval late medieval ages you'd get little badges so you like for example when you went to Canterbury to Kent you'd get like a little crown C for example for Thomas the Beckett of Canterbury or when you went to um, Walsingham, a shrine in Norfolk, you might come back with a, with a little ampulla, a little vessel with some holy water in it and it's got a W for Walsingham on it. They are not uncommon, but obviously these more common ones are made from lead and they're really easy to make. They would have shown like silver, but they would have tarnished really quickly. You do get badges made in silver. One was found not too long ago in Lancashire, I think in the Ribble Valley. It's one of St. Ursula that was made in, on the continent. It, it came from a, from a German shrine. They are really quite rare. And then the rarest of them all, unsurprisingly, are these, um, the gold ones. They, they just display, it's a religious person, but I'm also a religious person of status. I'm rich, I'm, I'm wearing this. And it's not something that you keep at home in a safe place. Like when you were going out or when you were visiting friends or the king or whatever, you'd, you'd, you'd put that on your, on your hat and you'd show everybody you've got some status.
We asked Dot to tell us more about how the badge was found in 2014 and what processes it had to go through after it was found and what all this can tell us about the local area. This is quite an, quite an interesting story. I used to be the finance liaison officer for Lancashire and Cumbria. So I was employed by the British Museum and Lancashire County Council to look after metal detectorists and other finders in our area. And by the time it was found, I'd been here for a while. It was one of the last things I, I recorded. Um, and I knew the, um, the metal detectorist really well. I knew him from um, Loon Valley Metal Detecting Club, Lancaster's Metal Detecting Club. He called me up very excitedly and said, I found something, I need to bring it round right away. Um, I said, yeah, fair enough, gave him my address and he came round and we knew right away. I mean, he'd, in fact, he did think, oh, this is some crumpled, crumpled sweet wrapper because that's precisely what it looks like when it's got dirt on. But he, he cleaned it and brought it in. And I think even though I'm not a specialist in medieval jewellery or pilgrim, pilgrim badges, I, I could tell this is, this is very special. Then basically what happened, we completed the, the treasure forms because it's older than 300 years and made of more than 10% precious metal. It needed to be reported to the coroner and the British Museum and we kind of sort of did all the paperwork and um, he brought it to the next meeting and it's one of those finds I think that perked like everybody's interest. It would have been amazing if there had been any more evidence or if he'd carried on detecting and found maybe the outer frame and the other bits that are missing from from the badge but I'm sure he did and I'm sure he he keeps going back to that field but so far I haven't seen the the, um, the outer rim. The person who owned it may have just ridden past 500 years ago and just lost it. The person who owned it may have been robbed and the robbers may have lost it. Yeah he could have worn it but it didn't it wasn't attached properly that day and he lost it and he probably would have sent one of his servants back to find it and clearly didn't or maybe the servant just found the frame. You can make up as many stories as you want but it was close to Lancaster, Lancaster being an important place in those days. It's not totally surprising to find a high status object such as that in the, in the, in Lancaster, in the Lancaster vicinity, Cormor in this case. Cormor is historically a very important area and we do have lots of exciting finds from, from the Cormor area but anything that is say Bronze Age or la later than Roman, so medieval or post-medieval, gets completely overruled by the Roman finds from the Cormor area. We don't know of any um, bigger houses, estates or private homes or anything where this, you know, this rich person who owned the batch could have lived. So yeah, sadly we don't know. It could have just been a stray find, a, a complete complete fluke that the metal detectorist found it where um, this person lost it. Parma is more known for um, their Roman kilns. Um, Roman pottery was made there, probably roof tiles or um, wall tiles, that sort of thing as well. And we know a lot more about Roman Parma than we do about medieval and um, post-medieval Parma. But you never know. The portable antiquity scheme is still going and commercial archaeology are still digging wherever needed. So we might find the place where the person lived who owned the cat badge. So what makes an object like this badge treasure? In the mid-90s, I think it was realised that normal mortal people, finders, gardeners, um, and especially metal detectorists, find a lot of archaeological artefacts. The knowledge about them and where they were found is effectively lost to anybody studying, say, Roman coins or Iron Age brooches or, well, cat badges. And it's quite important that, yeah, the knowledge gets out and shared. And so the Portable Antiquity Scheme was a pilot project in, I think, 1996. 
And because it was so successful, it got rolled out so that almost all counties now have their own finds liaison officers. They're archaeologists and they work with finders of archaeological artifacts. I would recommend to anyone, if you found anything in your garden or on the beach or whatever, take a picture and um, there's a website. If you just Google finds liaison officer or the British Museum and your area, you'll find them quite easily and you can get in touch with them. If it's an object that is older than 300 years and that is literally as of today. So when I started, things that were older than like 1700 were treasure and now it's things that are older than 1722. Anything that's older than 300 years and made from more than 10% of precious metal, that's silver or gold, is considered treasure unless it's a coin, because obviously there's a lot of silver and gold coins around. And if you find coins, it needs to be either two or more coins of precious metal or 10 or more coins of non-precious metal. So if anything is identified as potential treasure, a report needs to be written up, it gets dated and it gets um, identified properly, it gets sent to the British Museum and the special subject curator at the BM will write a report. The report will get sent back to the coroner, the local coroner, and the coroner will then declare it treasure. Even though he or she isn't an archaeologist or a museum person, they basically base their verdict on what the British Museum says. When it's declared treasure, once the coroner has declared a treasure, the finder gets told, and then the item will be offered to a local museum or a national museum, so it can be acquired by a museum service. Thank you for digging into 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. Explore our other episodes in which we'll be talking about everything from hoards to hagstones. <laughs>